0: good day everybody welcome to the mind war podcast this is our 50th episode this is a good breakthrough for us and and we've got a very special guest for you today my co-host john and i are happy to welcome you all today to this podcast today we'll be talking about digital supply chains but not digital only we've got a specialist who's really interested in human-centric supply chain and human-centric design of supply chains but before we do that John, welcome to the 50th episode. Can you believe we're there already? Wow, we've done it,
1: MP. And the first one, we started off with Adrian Davidser in Deloitte. And the 50th one, we are doing with a fantastic guest. Somebody that both you and I know quite well. Somebody that I really respect. Somebody that comes out with totally alternative views of life and of how mining should work. I'm, you know, doing the drum roll. For this person, and he totally qualifies to come and talk to Mind Warp to warp our audience's mind,
0: MP. That's right. Indrasan Naidu is our guest today. He is managing partner at Integral Supply Networks based in the greater Perth area in Australia, of course, Western Australia. Indrasan, welcome to the Mind Warp podcast. Thank you, MP. Thank you, John. Thank you, firstly, for those kind words, John. Very kind of
2: you. (laughs) And 50th podcast, that's a, a lucky shot on my side. Before we go any further, it would be very remiss of me not to congratulate you guys on your recent business developments with Rock and so forth. Excellent to see the progress. I mean, since we met five years ago, strides of progress mm. continue. Well done, guys. Thank yeah,
0: you very thank much. Thank you very much. That's awesome. We've looked forward to finding the right home in order to propel our ideas of platform thinking and digital thinking into the world and connecting the mining value chain through connecting different platforms. I think there's there's a lot of opportunity there and certainly we're, we're very excited about that. Innocent, so if I talk about you, most people who know you know that you're a lifetime student, you're a person who's always learning And then applying that learning specifically to this world of process thinking in the supply chain world and and in business in general. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your background? Uh, Maybe start with an overview of your academics and and how you came to be such a knowledgeable person and such a thought leader in the world of supply chain.
2: Thanks, MP. Yeah, so I, I definitely have a passion for learning, not necessarily studying, learning. (laughs) Um, I think the big question is, you know, what's knowable and what's worth knowing has always played with me and uh, continue to keep abreast. And given where we are in terms of rapid change, et cetera, I think one of our blind spots is knowledge and experience. And if we rely too much on those accumulated in the past, its it's relevance to the future is a big question mark. I don't think we can bank on, you know, I've studied this in 1900 and whatever, and it's still relevant. Yes, yeah, so I've I've basically got a finance background and an engineering background and a leadership development coaching background from an academic point of view. I'm currently busy with a PhD in sustainable supply chains, specifically on the mining wow. industry. Wow. Yeah, so that's really my academic background. And how I got into supply chain was by accident from finance into supply chain to address internal control issues. And yeah, so excited to have been in supply chain for the last 20 25 years across four different industries and now two countries
0: so i had a look at your background on linkedin and i saw that you started out in banking but in supply chain in banking you know it's it's not the first thing that comes to mind when one thinks of banks
2: yes <laughs> banks are interesting <laughs> uh, as a supply chain goes for also from a digital point of view one of the things i'm i like talking about is Banking may be necessary, but not necessarily banks. If you look at the digital versus physical world from a supply chain. The uh-huh. supply chain of a bank is no longer a physical world, it's a digital world. But uh-huh. my role there as procurement and supply was massive. And, and yes, banks do do a lot of procurement and supply chain. Your logistics from your cash in transit and all of those things are very much supply chain centric as well. Of course. So when did you get involved in mining first?
0: Was it with the Beers?
2: My first, yes, my first furrow into mining was in 2000 at De Beers Marine in Cape Town in South Africa, off the west coast of Africa. So, mining, but also very special and nifty mining in terms of alluvial diamonds uh, on the west coast. And as you know, I mean, De Beers is a prime company to uh, enter the mining industry
0: and always grateful for that opportunity. The penny just but dropped he- when you talked about banking and then the beer. Those two go together really well. <laughs> Diamonds and money, you know, <laughs> seem to, to fit. Uh, unfortunately, my salary wasn't percentage based. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Interesting. You, so you've got African roots, but you're sitting in Perth currently. I know that your business also spans back to Africa. Yes. In fact, in the last
2: since my last big project at Roy Hill, which ended in 2018, for the last three years, I've spent at least half my time in South Africa and half my time in Perth. So even with COVID, I'm still doing work in South Africa, and thankfully, to those South African customers and clients that continue to support us. Wow!
0: The last project that I'm really or title I should say on your on your extensive experience list here on on, on LinkedIn that I'm very interested in is you moved from supply chain director at Roy Hill to transformation director, which is Obviously much, much wider than the than the hard world of science only, isn't it? Absolutely. And and, and that links to what you mentioned earlier on about human-centric. I think probably the right
2: context to, to clarify that would be to acknowledge firstly Roy Hill who as a company and its leadership team and, and former CEO Barry Fitzgerald always wanting to explore something different for being innovative, etc. And it's within that leadership sponsorship and context that Raw Hill wanted to look at an alternative way of addressing its supply chain in mining and not just change the way things are done, but really transform it. And if you recall, that's when we met in Russia and we were comparing notes as to what you guys Mm. were were trying to, were actually achieving in the industry and we started to draw some parallels. So the transformation was really a fundamental rethink of how to approach MRO supply chains in the asset intensive, in this case, mining industry.
1: Anderson and I, I came to visit you in your office at Roy Hill in 2018. At that point, we've been kicking around a ball for about two or three years to say there's a deep link between supply chains and the ore body. Both of them are highly unstable. And if you contain those things, we wrote a paper and I came to discuss it with you. At that point, I felt like a, just a kid with a crazy idea, you know, a Leonard Cohen, He wasn't the first guy that quoted that on his 2012 tour in England. And you blew away my mind to show me if you don't first work on the ethos and the way that the leadership think about linking up the ore body and the supply chain and for the way that they need to act, you can forget about actually thinking about the supply chain. That blew my mind because traditionally, you don't find people that think and talk like that in the supply chain, let alone in mining or in the all body part of the mining. So, yeah, your background helped to shape your views around that. Tell us more about why are you looking at this so differently? What were the roots of you realizing that this can also impact the way that supply chains works? Yes. So thank you, Jean, for those kind words. When
2: I talk supply chain or think supply chain, I think at both a philosophical level, and a thinking level at the heart of which is systems thinking. You huh. get supply chain, the department, you get supply chain, the management process, all of which are relevant. But my my grounding is more towards the philosophical level. A supply chain correlates and is embedded in systems thinking. And when you look at systems thinking, it's really a function of synthesis, which is looking at the whole, and analysis, which is looking at the interdependent parts. Wow. So, If we take that distinction to what you raised about the o body, it's one part, right, Mm. of a mining value chain. Now we start to ask ourselves, what is it interdependent with? And it's interdependent with various things, one of which, which is least considered, is supply chain inbound, which is the, the MRO, which is the reliance on assets. Now, what is the relationship between assets and your whole body? Quite simple. You need assets to mine your whole body. And what is your relationship to assets and suppliers? You need suppliers to support the maintenance and repair of your equipment. Yes. Now, if you start to think about systems thinking and, and interdependence, it's not only the interdependence and the interfaces that are important in terms of feedback and reinforcing and negative loops. What is critical at the highest level is the product of the interdependence. And if the product of the interdependence of these interdependent parts is to make you money, then you need to ask yourselves, what is the uncertainties that I need to manage? Uncertainties related to me making money. The two big uncertainties are, what is my whole body properties? Hardness, friability, where the hell is the stuff, strip ratio, and so forth. You guys know that better than I will ever, you have know, forgotten things that I'll never learn. But you get the point of all-body uncertainty. And then across the next thing in your outside your system is suppliers. Because everything else in between those two are within your system. One, it's part of your system, but you get my point. It's like all-body and supplier, the two are big uncertainties. You could argue as communities, et cetera, but that came, that's different. So that's how I draw the
1: link. Yeah. So, Inderson, when I spoke to you over the phone before I came to Perth, that's sort of the – the gist that you gave me. But what struck me when I visited you is that I found that the basis of the change that you've assisted Roy Hill to effect were based on real deep work for the management team around changing the way that they looked at the interconnected parts. And some real soft stuff were done by you guys there. And uh, I, was, yeah, I, I was surprised around how you were able to pull that off because it seems so difficult to get a mining team to go to that place, and essentially that type of change changes all the other interconnected parts. Delve a little bit more into that part first before we go back to the interconnected parts and the variability. No, certainly, John. Now it once again
2: it'll be remiss of me not to acknowledge my colleagues in leadership development. Angela Williamson who was uh, a key accomplice, if not instigator. Maya Stefanovich was, a global thought leader on what is known as the leadership maturity framework. Yes. It's an adult developmental theory. Now, those two ladies are, you know, once again, they've forgotten things that I'll never learn, and, and it is a privilege to work with them. My blessing in, in having been exposed to this is I pride myself as a person who's a bit of a trans-contextual thinker, you know, take a little bit from there, take a little bit from here, and pull it all together. So when I saw what Maya and Angela were advocating, in terms of leadership maturity. So so leadership maturity, let me rather explain that from a developmental point of view, talks not about your capability, i.e. not about knowledge, skills. Talks more about your capacity. So in terms of your capacity, what I mean by that is your capacity to exercise systems leadership, your capacity to collaborate, and your capacity to deal with ambiguity. So if you imagine a cup, knowledge and skills is how full the cup is, Wow. Capacity is how big the cup is. That's interesting. So the bigger your cup, the more you can hold and the more you can deal with in terms of complexity. Where this is deep connection for me is, once again, it's your capacity to exercise systems leadership and my earlier point of systems thinking that has a deep connection. Mm. The other element of it is supply chains are built on integration and coordination. And increasingly, the word collaboration is used. Now, from a developmental point of view, you can say to people, go and collaborate. If they don't have the capacity to collaborate, they will not be able to
1: collaborate. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what struck me about what you guys have done. And yeah, thank you for reminding me about your colleagues. I remember that we have had discussions with them in 2018, 2019, I think. And MP, those are people that we must ask interesting if we could bring them on to uh, wine warp as well. So so that was the basis of that work. Could you tell us how much of that work went in versus the hardcore supply chain type of work, which you guys eventually did with a partner on SAP's new tooling, IBP? But what struck me was that there was a fair bit of leadership development work, which led a hardcore systems implementation. Yep. So let me first draw the
2: distinction just for the sake of clarity that when we talk about leaders in this context, we are not talking about authority and hierarchical leaders. Okay. We're talking about individual, each person in their own right is a leader of, of leading self. Wow. Mm-hmm. It's a broader sense of the word leader, not based on authority or general manager or whatever. Okay. Right? Okay. But obviously with authority comes decision-making power and those that are in a position of power are critical because of their decision authority. But let's not put leaders and leadership only to be the prerogative of a few, right? Yes. Mm. So in terms of the leadership work, at the core of that is fundamentally, the word I like to use is reframing. So each of us has a structure of interpretation. You know, we, we see the world, interpret the world rather than what it really is. We perceive, right? Now, in order for us to reframe, we need to change our mindsets and beliefs. Wow. How this relates to the supply chain is fundamentally. I'll be provocative, and I'll argue that the mining MRO supply chains, the biggest companies in the world, have all got it wrong. They fundamentally rely on replenishment-based reorder point planning. Yeah, it's yesterday, and it's a waste of money. You want the evidence? Go and look at an economic downturn. What do the big mining companies proudly report? Ah, oh, we've got inventory. We've managed to reduce our inventory, our obsolescence. We've now got. X million worth of cash back. Now, mm. where the hell did you get it there in the first place? <laughs> mm. <laughs> if I was, if I, if I, as a shareholder, I would argue, what got you into the position of having so much inventory? And the argument would be, oh yes, we were in an up-down cycle and we were booming, and you know things were busy, etc. And we didn't want to risk production, so we put mm-hmm. more into stock. Fundamentally, yes. big difference between stock and inventory. Inventory is to buffer uncertainty. Mm. Now, when you mm. look at IBP, which is now moving away to a demand-driven approach to inventory, you are now starting to use the power of digital, using the right algorithms, you know, using stochastics to make inventory decisions. Now, that's more forward-looking rather mm. than reorder point replenishment, which is backward-looking. And by the way, the whole MRP concept, which is in the uh, 70s, actually has its roots in the 1900s with the work of Taylor. Who uh-huh. was, for you all, Taylor and Adam Smith in terms of you know, scientific theory and scientific management. Yes. And in 1900, Taylor spoke about, you know, today is about man, the future is about the system. Because he wow. understood yeah. technology was a limitation. But yet when we have the technology, we still have lazy mindsets that want to rely on rotor point planning. And granted that the risk of production is always the bigger risk because you don't want yeah. down. But my argument yeah. is simply you can mitigate risk beyond reorder point planning by having the right leadership
0: mindset driving supply chains. On this topic of uncertainty that this is where we met the first time, uh, in this. And I, I remember we were walking back after, after dinner one evening in Moscow of all places. And we had both given a presentation at an SAP conference there. I was talking about creating a platform that brings together all of the various viewpoints and technical data streams that describe the ore body in order to reduce the uncertainty connected to the ore body. And you were essentially talking about these topics that you're talking about now. How how do you connect all of these different dependent and independent and interdependent elements in the world of supply chain management? And the demand supply story, I think, is where we clicked, isn't it? Correct. Yeah. So from our side, we we look at it very simply. We say that every activity, whether an actual activity or planned activity, let's just say a planned activity on a wine plan, should be enabled by a set of transactions in your in your commercial systems, in your ERP, typically, of which your supply chain, of course, are those transactions that yes replenish but also move and make available and and train and certify and check the quality of, et cetera, all of the inbound materials in order to make sure that production is not affected. And our whole approach to trying to, at a granular level, integrate this demand and supply and process is simply to say, well, every activity has to have a set of transactions in the ERP, that then moves us towards just-in-time supply chain management instead of just-in-case.
2: Yeah, that is true. However, I would draw some distinctions in that because there's some devil in some of that detail. (laughs) (laughs) As there always seems to be. The first devil is let's ask ourselves, why was ERP built? Who's the primary custodian of ERP? And I venture a bold statement to say it's primarily for the CFO. ERP record money. The system right. of record, and it's a record of money. Now, that record of money happens after you made the money, before you made the money, depending on what type of accounting and provisions and so forth. But the point being, it centers around money. The rest of your business around hmm. activities that you mentioned center around work. Yeah. Now, ERPs are not necessarily or not the way to manage work in its pure sense. So your supply chain is really about moving. Absolutely right. So when you're managing work, you need technology. If you use Gartner's pace kind of approach, you've got your system of the record that's recording money and a few other things, people's personnel numbers and so forth. But but if you run your business, definitely it's technology systems of differentiation that help you Mm -hmm. run your business differently. And in the case of the supply chain, it's either material flow and it's information flow that supports that material flow. And fundamentally, those combinations gives you a financial flow, which requires a financial record.
0: So, I noticed you talking earlier in a video. Sorry for interrupting there, but you just mentioned those three information flow, physical flow, and financial flow. And it makes a lot of sense. And if any one of those three flows stop, the whole river stops, or you introduce a lot of eddies <laughs> and, and rough water, don't you? Correct. So
2: we, we spoke about banking early on, right? So we, let's look at banks, right? Historic world, the physical world, material yeah. flow, money. Happened when you went to a physically went to a bank. Mm. Where last did you go to a bank?
0: Uh, many moons.
2: <laughs> Why? Because information flow in the form of digital has replaced the physical world. Right. Mm. I think financial flow. The bank still makes money. It's reduced mm. its physical work. It probably makes more bank charges now than it did before at a lower physical infrastructure cost. So hence mm. my point. Banks are no longer necessary, while banking still is. Mm-hmm. similar to Amazon. All Amazon, well, all are done. Primarily, they've created an information flow link that's altered the physical world in terms of the supermarket, bookshop, or whatever physical retailer they've replaced. Mm-hmm. And they make money, which is the financial flow. The two other flows that are important, uh, just as for completeness,
1: is knowledge flow and capital flow. Sure. Let's circle back to the devils, just for you to conclude, so the devils in the detail that I hear correctly that you're saying that If you don't consider all those flows, you will get an over-exaggeration of one flow compared to the other, which will create havoc. Could you conclude on that? Yes. So in managing those flows, the devil in the detail is the detail being
2: you got to draw a differentiation. It's not in your ERP that you need to manage your business. And that's where we use products like IBP, which are actually extended supply chain solutions to run your business differently.
1: Ah, okay.
2: ERP. if I borrow the SAP slogan, the idea would be to keep your core clean. Don't go and customize and do all fancy things. Keep your system of record clean as possible. If you want to run your business differently, run it with systems of differentiation. In this case, IBP, transport management, and so forth.
1: Yeah, so one of our partners, we've done a podcast with them, Deloitte, have a solution called Clean Cube. So it sort of exactly talks to that point to be able to keep it clean. Before we circle to resilient supply chains and this human-centered supply chains, we want to get your opinion on that. Just conclude for me around MRP. You brought up MRP. Are you saying it's time has come, it's no more, or are you saying there's still a place for it? What is your view on that? So
2: MRP is is a heuristic that has relevance, absolutely. The progression should be demand-driven MRP, which has been around for about two decades anyway, right? Yes. However... Added to that is how you get your expressions of demand should make use of increasing algorithmic power and yes. to bring in more time series, forecast-based methods. So it's beyond MRP and leveraging technology is the point I make, whereas predominantly the mining industry seems to be stuck in MRP with reorder point planning rather
1: than a plan deterministic view of planning. Ah, that's a good summary. Excellent. Inderson, let's talk about sustainable supply chains and human-centered sustainable supply chains. We know that all mines have woken up hard to ESG and all the components they not be also is driving down that line, specifically assisting also Epiroc, and they've done some great work on that side on batteries and communities, et cetera. What's your view on this? My view on sustainability and sustainable supply chains
2: is firstly, it's the most critical thing on the table at the moment. And the reason I'm hesitating, I'm trying to find a polite way to say how bad and <laughs> mischievous we've been as human beings, right? We've really kicked the can down the road in terms of our responsibility to the environment and to broader society. And this is a fundamental relationship to the leadership maturity discussion we had early on. Because organizational performance and profitability is directly correlated to the consciousness of its leadership. And as a society, we find ourselves in the situation we do because our collective consciousness has been one of irresponsible behavior, short-term thinking, because we don't have the capacity to consider multi-generational impacts of what we do. When we come to human-centric supply chains, my point is you look at almost every consulting house of note, big or small there's constant talk about digital supply chains. Yes. My argument is energy goes to where the focus goes. Yes. My focus is not on digital. My focus is on developing supply chains that are human-centric. In other words, that they are designed with environmental responsibility. They understand the human implications and impacts in terms of labor, other social impacts, and are constantly evolving in a way of their impact. On the world. That's what I call a human-centric supply chain. Now, if your focus is on a human-centric supply chain, that's where your energy will go in terms of design. Technology becomes an enabler of that design. It's not the focus. Yes. Mm
0: -hmm. If you think of the link between sustainability and resilience, I mean, we we just talked about uncertainty and risk. I've been looking up a, a bunch of articles, you know, and just in the past year, we've had the COVID lockdowns. We've had You know, the big computer chip factory in Japan, I forget the name now, that burned down in March of this year. You've got Brexit, which took full effect, uh, or is probably still taking, but started off January last year. The big shipping container blockage in the Suez Canal, with 12% of the world's supply chain moving through that. And so on, and so on. Droughts all over the place. And what I'm getting to is things happen that are not necessarily poor system planning. So that's not maybe connected to sustainability, but resilience now comes to how quick I can restore normal, isn't it? Or am I getting
2: it wrong? No, no, I, I think that, you know, you spot on in resilience now. The latest one is let's not bounce back, let's bounce forward. That's, <laughs> <I> mean,
0: <laughs> that's a nice soundbite, yeah.
2: So I think, once again, at a deeper level of thinking, my view and a bit of elevated sense-making on this whole topic is that People talk about resilience and then then they automatically, yes, go and connect a whole lot of technology. It'll make you, it'll contribute significantly to making you more resilient. Yeah, it probably would. Have, but i rather once again come back to say, well, resilience at its heart is about human connection. Wow. That's and significant. There's some wonderful work being done by Professor Stephanie Bertels and her colleagues at a university in Canada called the Embedding Project. And they, mm-hmm. they use a nested view of sustainability. So if you imagine three nested circles, the bottom mm-hmm. one being business resilience, the, the, the innermost circle, by bottom I mean innermost. The next circle is social resilience, and the third circle is environmental resilience. Yeah. So the environmental resilience has a direct relationship to your planetary boundaries. Right? So right. Actually your business cannot do better if it's social environment is not well attended to and your social environment cannot do better if you don't attend to your environmental aspect. Are oh,
1: you referring to the book Donut Economics from uh,
2: Kate Raworth? Yeah so Kate Raworth has a similar thing in terms of planetary boundaries. She calls her her planetary boundaries diagram or, or depiction but it, but it has strong links to Kate's work. That book does a fantastic illustration of some of the key points and principles at play in both in economics and in environmental. The other thing about economics, sorry, before I, because you've triggered something in me. Fundamentally, one of the problems we have in the world is back to flow. There's not enough economic flow. Yes. the lifeblood of any economic system is flow. Yes. So what we have at the moment, we have a high concentration of wealth among a few. Yes. So that's a lack of flow, and that's not sustainable.
0: Wow. MP, we need to yes. bring this to a close. <laughs> <laughs> this is... I don't want to. I'm enjoying it so much. I think for our 50th episode, we should make this a 50-minute <laughs> episode as well. But maybe if we want any return guests, we shouldn't. <laughs> so yeah, why don't you close, John, Anderson, interesting. so
1: interesting. Maybe please have a further discussion. We really need to follow up with you. But at the same time, I want to ask you bringing this to a close. Some closing words around your views on uncertainty, resilience, and human connection. Some closing words before we move on? Yeah, so my closing words would be, let's step back.
2: Let's reframe where we're putting our focus. And my encouragement would be to start to put our focus on things that are sustainability-related, keeping a human-centric view, whether it's the worker, whether it's the leader, whether it's society. And by human-centric, I mean the broader humanity. And uh, part of that we will realize very quickly is if we don't look after the environment and each other, there's not much resilience going to be happening beyond that. Beautiful.
0: Thanks so much, Anderson. So we close our podcast always by asking our guests what's on your bedside table. What are you reading? What's good for us to also uh, add to our website for others to look at? Yeah,
2: well, actually, I'm busy with a reread at the moment. I'm reading what I consider to be one of the best coaching books out there by Marshall Goldsmith, called What Got You Here Won't Get You There. And I'm rereading it because just a small plug, if you guys don't mind, our passion for sustainability and part of our give back is that we run a pro bono coaching program for graduates, predominantly in the mining industry. Yeah, so I'm keeping some of my coaching skills uh, fresh. And by the way, at least 10 of these graduates are South African-based, eh? because we are present in South Africa across many of the mining companies. So yeah, we're excited to have that small programme and contribute. So that's why I'm reading that book.
0: Thank you so much for your time and for your effort, not only, of course, in this podcast, but in general, always a pleasure talking to you. And uh, hopefully we can repeat this sometime before our 100th (laughs) episode again. Why not at the (laughs) 100th? Why not? (laughs) I can't wait that long to get
1: some more of this goodness. We're going to repeat this soon. No, I say I'm only available for the big games.
2: 50
0: hours. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Thank you very much.